Wow, that's a, that's a beautiful song to uh, introduce what we're going to look at this morning of Jesus' call for us to follow him as disciples. Thank you all for leading us that way in music. That, uh, that's a powerful way to introduce our, our time together now in God's Word. And I do invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We'll continue our series through this book. That's Mark's uh, Gospel in the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, and it'll be helpful for us as we prepare to turn to these verses, this passage, verses 16 through 20, considering our call to follow Jesus, to follow Him, to realize the context that these verses are in. Very helpful for us. If we pull verses out of context, we not only have the the risk of getting them interpreted wrong and applying them to our life wrong, but if we don't have the context, we sometimes miss the fullness of what's being said. Let me set this up for you just a little bit. Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1, which remind us of this reality that God's kingdom is coming, and that it's coming through the gospel, through the message of Jesus Christ, working out itself in people's lives through faith and repentance. The question might Come when we see this theme in verses 14 and 15 introduced for the, the whole book of Mark, really. The question might come, well, how is that going to happen? How will the kingdom advance? And the answer for us is shocking, if you think about it. The answer for us that we'll see to that question is that Jesus is going to call to himself disciples from among you and me, people called to him that will follow him, that will be lights and will be salt in this world, and then will help to call others to follow him. That's what comes before the verses today. The question that might roll out of these verses 16 and 17 is this. Okay, how's that going to happen? I don't feel like I have power to follow you, Jesus. I certainly don't feel like I have power to be used in helping others to come to you, Jesus. And the answer comes in the rest of chapter 1, which we won't have time to dwell on in this sermon series, but I'll just mention it to you now. The rest of chapter 1 displays Jesus' authority over demons, His authority over disease, His authority to speak in a way that nobody else could speak. People recognize the authority in him. It shows it over and over again that Jesus is king of this kingdom. That's where the power is going to come from. Following him, he will bring us along and give us a share in that power that we might walk with him. So with that in mind, let's take a look at these verses today which remind us of our call to follow him and call to help others follow him. I invite you to stand with me as we read aloud. I'll read aloud. You read along silently. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon. Simon's the same as Peter. And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. 
And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You may be seated as you do. Let's pray again together. Oh, Father God, we do pray now that you would help us in our time together now in your word to see the beauty of following you, King Jesus, our beautiful King. Lord, that you would equip us and strengthen us in this time, we pray. Amen. In case you didn't know it, it's an election year. And uh, I imagine many of you are like me and appreciate, for good reason, the uh, country we live in, the democratic republic that we're a part of, even with all its flaws and foibles. But it's interesting to observe, whatever your political views, the candidates' pleas and efforts to get us to follow them, to call us Americans to follow. Think about it for a minute. Countless millions upon millions poured into advertising of all sorts to get us to sway this way or that way. A meticulous presentation of the candidates in front of whatever debate setting, the perfectly combed hair, the perfect tie to match with the perfect suit, and, of course, makeup, I think, on all of them to boot. The speeches and debates that seem to go on and on and on, debate upon debate. All of these efforts designed to get us to cast our lot this way or that way with this person or that person. Think about this for a minute. And the next time you turn on the TV and see all of this that's going on, think about this. The contrast between that, those attempts to get followers, to get people to come along, and what Jesus does in these verses. The contrast is stark. Jesus comes along, and it's apparent that some of these apostles, some of these disciples, already had some familiarity with him. But he comes along, and he speaks to the four disciples in these verses And he simply calls them and says, follow me. No extensive Twitter campaign, no focus groups to figure out what their opinions are about this or that topic and cater his message to it. Jesus comes and says, I am Lord. Follow me. And they follow. They follow because they see the beauty of who Jesus is is and the beauty of following him even if like us they don't understand all of what that's going to mean for them if you want to follow along with me in your worship guide there's a sermon notes section and i think the main point that uh, the lord would have us to take today from this message i've listed it out there for you is this that jesus calls to himself unlikely people to help call other unlikely people to him. 
As we walk through these verses today, I, I hope we'll wrestle with Jesus' call upon each one of us. Maybe you're here today and you're just beginning to explore the things of Christ. Or you've looked at them from a, a distance and are evaluating what you believe about them. I invite you to see today this glorious figure, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so compelling that he simply calls, follow me, and he is worthy of being followed. How will you and I respond to Jesus' call? Take it beyond that, though, if you're here, whether you're investigating Christ or you've embraced him for salvation already, Look at the people who he calls to go with him. Unlikely people, as we'll talk more about in a minute. And it raises the question for us, even though I feel unworthy, even though I feel like I don't have much to contribute to be a part of God's kingdom, how might he use me? How is he using me as I follow him? An unlikely person to be called. And then lastly, this question we'll consider. As unlikely people, this amazing truth that God desires to use us to be involved in other people's lives. That they might come to follow Jesus as well. And the question in all of this for us needs to be, How are we responding to the person, Jesus Christ? Let's take a look at these things uh, by dividing them up a bit. First, I want to look at the fact that these men and us are called from ordinariness. Called from ordinariness. Then I want to look at the reality that we're called to Jesus. may seem self-explanatory, but I want us to talk about that for a minute. And then lastly, that we're called... To call others. That we're called to call others. We're called from ordinariness. I want to use these four disciples mentioned in this passage uh, and assume perhaps some general knowledge that we might have about the other 12 disciples. Bring them into the picture, if we will, as well. Uh, In fact, there's a book that's excellent that's been written on this topic that's simply titled 12 Ordinary Men. I had some leftover copies that I managed to get for almost nothing. They're sitting out on the table there. If you'd like to have a copy after the worship service, you can take, uh, take one, or I recommend that book to you by John MacArthur. He says this, and I think I put it in your worship guide if you want to follow along, but sets the stage for who these men were, and more importantly, who they were not. Not one of them, he says, was renowned for scholarship. Or great erudition. They had no track record as orators or theologians. In fact, they were outsiders as far as the religious establishment of Jesus' day was concerned. They were not outstanding because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. On the contrary, they were all too prone to mistakes, to misstatements, wrong attitudes, lapses of faith, even bitter failure. Yet with all their faults and character flaws, as remarkably ordinary as they were, these men carried on 
a ministry after Jesus' ascension that left an indelible mark on the world. Their ministry continues to influence even us today. God graciously, listen to this, God graciously empowered and used these men to inaugurate the spread of the gospel message and to turn the world upside down. We think about these verses, we certainly would come to mind 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You don't need to turn there, I'll read it for you. But where the Apostle Paul says these words, and think about yourself and your ordinariness in the unlikely way that you may feel that you've been called. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, are that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What a glorious thing it is today for us that God uses the weak and unlikely things. Take a look at these disciples for just a minute. Think about their background. We see, of course, the four today are fishermen. Not a bad occupation, but not anything glamorous or, or, or fancy, as MacArthur mentioned for us. If you take into account some of the other disciples, you've got Simon, who was a zealot. He was a political activist. You've got Judas Iscariot, that was probably Iscaros. Iscariot refers to daggers. He was probably some sort of, uh, maybe not hitman, but at least a militia sort of guy. And then you've got on the other side, Matthew, the tax collector, aligned with the institution, with the establishment. These guys are all together. They've got different personalities as well. Peter, bold. Uh, John MacArthur lovingly calls him in the book the apostle of the uh, foot-shaped mouth. The apostle of the foot-shaped mouth. Because he's always stepping out to say something. Occasionally he hits it out of the park. Often he messes it up. His own brother, Andrew, you hear almost nothing about in the rest of the New Testament after these verses we're reading today. Quiet. Quietly working along the way. Nathaniel, Jesus commended for being a true believer, ready to believe and sincere. Thomas, you've got to see your side, Jesus. Empiricist, rationalist, got to see your side before I'm going to believe. What a cadre of people. Not only do they have these assorted backgrounds, these same guys, if you recall, bickered and argued between one another over who was going to be in charge. Uh, MacArthur mentions the stumbling and misstatements they make. Jesus, on almost every page of the Gospels, is rebuking or correcting one of them or all of them for their spiritual dullness. At Gethsemane, they're asked simply to stay by Jesus and pray, and they scatter as rapidly as you can imagine after falling asleep when all they were asked to do was sit there and pray. Ordinary people, unlikely people, and yet called by Jesus. If you feel ordinary, if you feel unlikely today, if you feel a little self-conscious in the church 
world, feel like you don't have much to recommend you in the spiritual sense, guess what, people? Welcome to the club. Look at the founders of this organization, an unlikely group of folks, and welcome to that unlikely group. Brings to my mind, as we close talking about this first point, those verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul says that we have this treasure. He's talking about the gospel. We have this treasure where? Jars of clay. Every day, common jars of clay. That's what I am. That's what you are. And that's what's awesome about the kingdom, about the gospel, because God wants it that way so that, why? What does it say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? So that his all-surpassing power can be seen. That it's not from us, but it's from him. So be encouraged today, followers of Jesus, if you find yourself ordinary. If you're here today and you're just investigating Jesus and you would stand at a distance because you think I am ordinary. I am unlikely. Jesus calls. That's the people that Jesus calls. Second thing I want us to look at this morning is not just that we're called from uh, unlikely ordinariness, but we're called to Jesus. Look back with me at uh, Mark chapter 1 again. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus comes to the disciples and he simply says, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It goes on and says that the man in verse 18 immediately left their nets and followed him. This is another one of these passages in the Bible that we're probably so uh, familiar with, have a little bit of familiarity with, that we miss the shock value of it. Again, go back to my opening comments about our political figures. Imagine... Somebody showing up in your life that was so compelling in who they were, in the spiritual presence that they exuded, in the power, the force of their character, in the majesty and beauty of who that person was, that they would simply have to say to you, follow me. And you'd walk away from everything your life was defined by before. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is amazing, people. He calls us to follow Him. The struggle uh, for us is that not only do we kind of miss what a compelling figure Jesus is, we sort of miss that, but we're prone to want to leave Jesus. We're prone to want to move away from Him. John chapter 6 talks about this, and I always have found this passage just uh, challenging for me and also encouraging in some ways. John chapter 6, verses uh, 60, and we'll read on down through verse 69. Jesus has been going on and telling the disciples about what it's going to mean to follow Him, about the life change that's required, about turning away from just living life for self and sin and turning to Jesus and the beauty of of who he is, the challenges of that. And the disciples are thrown back. There's a large group now that's gathered beyond the 12. It's not just the 12. Listen to what happens 
in John chapter 6, verse 60 and following, after these folks have heard Jesus' words. When many of his disciples heard all this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And jump with me if you're following along down to verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, there he is, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Folks, if you're feeling today like throwing in the towel on this journey of following Jesus, or perhaps not throwing in the towel, you just rather take a step back, shift the spiritual journey into neutral, Let's not be too unreasonable about this. Let's not get too consumed with Jesus. Let's not have our lives really inflamed and exalted in Jesus. Let's not have Jesus come to control and reign in us. Let's just take a step back. All that's a little too extreme. Peter's words are encouraging here to remind us Jesus holds the words of eternal life. He's the Holy One of God. We do well to follow him, whatever the cost. Last thing I want us to see in these verses. It's fascinating that Jesus really just says two things to the disciples when he calls them. Now, he's going to teach and teach and teach for a number of years, so there's obviously more content to our spiritual walk. But it is interesting, those introductory remarks that anybody makes They tell you a little bit about their message and their goal. Jesus says, follow me. And then the second half of his sentence is what? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What he's saying here for us people of God, and I'm as challenged by this, I think, as any of us here, is that Jesus doesn't allow us to do the follow him thing and then set aside helping others to come to know him. It's not an optional, tangential thing that we can or can't include in our spiritual life to engage with those around us with the gospel. Jesus holds them right together. It's fascinating. I put in your worship guide, we won't look at them right now, a number of the Old Testament passages that convey this idea of fishers of men. It's not a new, brand new concept that Jesus brings to the forefront. But I will mention this one passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which is a good one for us to think about as we consider where we are today with not only following Jesus, recognizing that he welcomes ordinary ones like us, but actually seeking to engage those around us 
with the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember earlier when I was introducing, I said we've got the authoritative King Jesus. That's where the power comes for this. Paul says, be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Why are we going to need that strength? Why is he reminding us to get that strength? He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Call it discipleship. Call it evangelism. Call it outreach. Call it passing it on. Jesus has called us to this. And the question for us again today is where is our fishing pond? Where has Jesus called us to put out our nets? And are we doing that? Some of us are going to be more uncomfortable, more comfortable just inviting somebody to come to church. Some of us are going to be able and willing to have some people over to our home from our neighborhood that we don't know that well and, and see what the Lord might do as they get to know a, a real live human being Christian and see what, how that might shape and affect them. We've got an opportunity we're going to talk about right as this worship service ends in just a few minutes. Our Cross Creek Kids Camp, I'll remind you again, last summer we had close to 100 kids come to participate in that. And what we're going to do, Lord willing, this year with this new backyard format is take that and our goal, our attempt is to be helping serve that up to families in our church who would be willing to, to come and help and be on one of the teams to run the individual camps or to host it in your home and invite your neighbors and friends to come and see what the Lord might do to use you as fishers of men to help you in your context be a lighthouse, be a place of salt and light, a city on a hill. That's what we want to do. So these are things that we're called to, that Jesus has invited us to. He's invited us to... Follow him. He's invited us who are unlikely to do that. He's invited us to follow him and see the beauty, the power, the authority, the beautiful authority of Jesus that compels us to follow right away. That's the kind of Jesus we're worshiping and following. And then he calls us to invite others along as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do... Praise you and thank you. Lord, as we are here, we know that we're unlikely, many of us, ordinary people, the weak things of the world. Lord, we thank you that it's your desire, it's your pleasure to take the gospel and plant it in jars of clay like us. And we do ask, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us and empower us to shine that gospel to those around us that indeed people would see that the all-surpassing power is from you, Lord, and not from us, that people might be drawn to come and follow you as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.